Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yeah, hello and good morning live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is The Michael Dukes Show. Hello. Welcome to it this Thursday. Man, this has been a quick week so far. I mean, nothing better than a, nothing better than a short work week uh, after a long uh, holiday weekend and uh, or vacation and you know what I mean. It's uh, it's good stuff. Good morning and welcome to the program and thanks for coming on board with us today. We have got um, uh, we got we got some stuff. We got some stuff and things going on here this morning. We are going to jump into this here in just a hot second with um uh with 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 some good we anyway anyway hour two hello uh we've got scott ogan coming up uh to join us in hour two scott is a former state legislator and policy advisor uh now for uh mike shower here over the last year or so he's got a piece out in mustery alaska uh that is entitled the top 10 left fork in the road policy proposals uh, that uh, are going to be coming into the legislature this year. And we're going to go through some analysis and some discussion on what all of it means and what's, uh, what, what, you know, what, what should we expect? That's all we're going to be dealing with right now is what we should be expecting here in the coming legislative session, which again is not, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it, we shouldn't expect much in the good way, in the way of good, coming out of the session this year. But uh, it will give us a little bit of uh, of details. Scott's broken it down piece by piece, uh, bill by bill, uh, for what's going to be coming up uh, here in the um, uh, in the uh, in the upcoming uh, weeks as we get through this before we jump deep into election season. So this. Uh, this should be interesting. So we'll see what this uh, we'll see what th- comes out of this, and we'll have some discussions on it with Scott uh, in hour two this morning. In hour one, I've got my own uh, my own discussions, my own thoughts and analysis, as well as a article uh, out of the uh, ADN that was written by um, Sa- uh, Iris Samuels and Sean McGuire. That's going to hit some of these things. It, not a lot of great uh, surprises. For this, these are some of the same issues that we dealt with in the previous session or previous half of the session here this last year. They're going to be making a repeat and we'll uh, we'll keep having that uh, we'll keep having that talk here um, throughout hour one this morning, along with some other thoughts on some of the other things that are going on around the state as well. Uh, Beginning also with this latest the latest announcement. Uh, from the ADN came out again this morning. Just a reminder, 
that uh, applications for the 2024 PFD are now open. And uh, you can go file for uh, your PFD online at mypfd.alaska.gov. You can also get paper applications. You've got until March the 31st. So we got the 90-day window is now open. Um, And, of course, we won't know what the actual amount of the dividend is going to be until later in the uh until later in the session that will be one of the final things they've decided it what over the last is it eight years now i guess this will be eight years they've been deciding the amount of the dividend instead of going by state statute and following the law hashtag follow the damn law um they've been deciding it uh they've been deciding it on their own um the dividend amount proposed by the governor uh, adhering to the formula in state statute hasn't been followed since 2016, but it would be well north of 3,000. In fact, last year, what was it, 4,200 and change or something? Um, but uh, they people are basically saying the amount is likely to be closer to last year's amount, which was $1,312. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We will see what happens with that. And uh, we'll we'll go from there. 2008, remember those times, 2008, back in the day when we had the $4,500 adjusted for inflation dollars? Um, that, was the, that was the big dividend year, 2008, uh, with energy rebates and more. Oh, man, those were the days back when our money was our money and the state's money was the state's money. And uh, we could actually do some things with some of the things that were going on around there. Yeah, that, those were the days. Those were the days. Anyway, <clears throat> you might as well get some of yours while the getting's good. Uh, to uh, So go ahead and apply for your dividend because I don't expect that it will be, I don't expect it will be with us much longer, quite honestly. Uh, I will be, I will be shocked and amazed if in, um, let me see, what was it, today, 2024? Let's just say, let me just say, if we reach 2030 and I'm making the same announcement in 2030, I will be shocked and amazed to say that now is the time to sign up for your dividend. Uh, because my estimation will be that by then, it will be gone. And in fact, we'll we'll probably be filing instead of filing for your dividend, you'll probably be filing for uh, your taxes, your state taxes of one form or another by 2030, based on what's happening, you know, in the right now, based on what's going on right now. Yeah, uh, I think it's I think it's fully anticipated that we will be probably filing for some form of state taxes uh, by that time instead of a PFD. That will all be gone. That will be a distant memory, and we'll be going, oh, remember back in the day when we used to actually, you know, follow the law and get our PFDs? Yeah, those were good times, good times, good times. Oh, what else is uh, going on? Uh, Grand jury's still in the news. Uh, I got a notification that on the 8th, um, the court case against uh, Judge Murphy is going to be um, 
uh, is going to be going on down in Homer. Um, David Haig, who has been uh, one of the one of the uh, chief uh, supporters of this <clears throat> case and indictment, uh, put out an email on Monday that said that uh, uh, the presiding judge in the third district, Judge Thomas Matthews, had denied Judge Murphy's um, com- uh, request. Uh, it was a great. It was actually a combined request between Judge Murphy and the grand jury independent prosecutor Campion. Uh, they had a combined request to dispense with oral arguments in the felony prosecution of Judge Murphy. Um, the reason for the denial was that Judge M- uh, Matthews stated it is important that this case is uh, transparent and open to the public. Uh, Murphy is one of the judges, it seems, that uh, Alaska's only judge, uh, only judge investigator for the last 33 years and counting uh, is uh, falsifying investigations and certified documents. We talked about this with David Haig um, last month uh, to get kind of an update about what's going uh, go, going on. The Alaska Grand Jury Association uh, is urging people to come down and have people attend the oral arguments on Murphy's motion to dismiss. They're scheduled for 10 a.m. next Monday in the horm, uh, in the Homer Courthouse. So if uh, if you want to uh, come on down and and uh, and be part of it. Land's End is also uh, offering some kind of special deal down there in Homer. So you could spend a Sunday night in Homer and and then uh, drive back after the uh, after the hearing. Apparently, uh, if you can't make it into the courthouse, you can get the Zoom info as well at 907 907-235-8171. 907-235-8171. And so uh, that's going to be again, um, that's going to be again going to be uh, this coming Monday down in Homer. Um, And the next time that we have uh, Ben Carpenter on the program, we will be discussing this with him um, as well, because he's been following this issue. And I mean, this is an important issue. The whole thing is... uh, is super important. Grand juries are ultimately one of the last bastions of transparency and ultimate citizen control over their government. Uh, and when they get interfered with, when they get uh, suborned by the judicial department, as being, which is what's being uh, charged here, which that's the speculation here, then we've got some real problems so this 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 could be a very very big deal uh in the long run so we'll be watching to see what happens with that uh 8 a.m excuse me uh 10 a.m on monday the 8th in the homer courthouse is going to be the uh oral arguments so um what else? What else do I got to hear? Well, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of out of time coming up here on the break. So we're going to get into that. Oh, we're also going to talk about the trend that has been happening over the last couple of years around the country. Now, I normally we don't do, but this is a, this is the parallels, right? Alaska 
is not the only state that has been flush with uh, federal COVID dollars and everything else, although some states are handling it and have handled it a little differently. But the ultimate end result is uh, kind of the same, and that is that the trend is now moving back in the other direction, and states are facing some serious, serious budget shortfalls. Alaska is not alone in that. So we'll talk about that here as well uh, as we continue on uh, for the, throughout the first hour here this morning. So, so good morning. <clears throat> let's get to it. Let's uh, let's get uh, let's get all prepared and uh, dive in, shall we? And then we'll expect to see Scott Ogan in hour two of the program this morning to discuss all this and more. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return in just a few moments, and we will uh, kick things off on 2024 and what the session holds for us and more. It's all dead ahead on The Michael Luke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Well. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Good morning, my friends. How are you guys doing this morning? You, um, you ready? You all, are you all, you all ready? Y'all ready for this? Um, 1995 filing fee. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a thing. I, you know, I, I think you should enjoy filing for your PFD while you can, because it won't be, won't be too many months. Won't be too many years. And you'll be filing. It just won't be for a PFD anymore. Now it'll be you'll be filing for your taxes at the state level because that's that's where we're going. That's what's uh, that's that's the direction things are happening. Uh, good morning, Gordon, uh, who just said hi on YouTube. Uh, Teresa, Cindy, good morning, Melody. Good morning, Gail. My dad's out there. Don Ardwin, hello, Chris, Jeffrey, Brian. Uh, Bill, Rick, the usual suspects. Good morning, guys. Thanks for coming on board. Uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, appreciate you guys tuning in and and joining up this morning on the old radio show. Um, what do we got going on here? Um, I'm a little scattered this morning. I'll be honest with you. I remember yesterday I told you that I was operating on. Uh, short sleep yesterday. Well, I mean, I came home and, and, uh, yeah, no. Uh, so between yesterday and today, I'm, I'm working on about, 
working on about six hours of sleep for the last two days. So, uh, <laughs> the, the old brain case is not doing quite as well as, uh, uh, not doing quite as well as we'd like it to do, as we'd like it to be. Uh, I want to get in, I want to talk about this story too. Um, the city of Anderson, uh, the, 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 the former city clerk has been charged with uh, embezzling funds from the city's bank account. Uh, and it, it's not even that much money. I mean, it's just not even, it's $140,000. And I'm like, if you're going to go, <laughs> if you're going to go for broke and you're going to, you're going to, you know, $140,000, that's, it's nothing. That's, I mean, you know, you can't even barely make it out of town on that. I mean, it's not like you could go into hiding and buy a <clears throat> buy a Bahamian island or something. Uh, anyway, we could talk about that uh, as well. Uh-oh. Let's see. What do I got here? My mouse just told me it's about to die. And I need, uh, I need to have that. So let me, let me deal with this real quick as we go through too many cables too many cords near not nearly enough coffee whoa there we go all right plug this in here hey look at that we're saved we're saved the mouse still works okay i want you guys <laughs> hookers and blow what Okay. I don't, again, this is one of those things where context matters, and I don't know what I was saying when somebody said something. Uh, Bill does say he appreciates me. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I mean, I do this, uh, you know, I do it for you guys. I do it for me, but I mean, I also do it for you guys uh, every day, getting things going. Um, short work weeks makes for work compression, said Jeffrey. Oh, I feel that. Holy cow. Especially coming back from vacation and then having a short week after coming back from vacation. Oh, that's a nightmare. Uh, but then on top of that, it's all, oh, me running on no sleep. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Mary and Barry. You know what I mean? For oh Boy, that's really dating myself, isn't it? Feel like, feel like Mary and Barry <laughs> when it comes down to it. Yes, it could be hookers and blow. That's what's keeping me up at night. No, that's not it at all. But... We'll, 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 we'll get going on. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into it. The Michael Duke show common sense radio. Dude, yeah, oh yeah. Okay, so uh, we're ready to go. We're ready to dive into it. Where do we start? Where do we want to start? Let's start with uh, what's been going on in other states. So, I mean, we've talked in this state about how 
what a you know one of the one of the downsides to the federal COVID dollars and the trillion you know. Did you realize? Did you know that by December thirty first of twenty twenty three, just last uh, was it Sunday, Monday, Sunday, that we paid nearly a trillion dollars in debt payments. The the debt payment was about $900 million. And that the uh, this next coming year, they're estimating, because the deficit pinged out at uh, $37 trillion, uh, net that right there at the end of the year, we finally tripped over that mark. Yay, go us. Uh, we're overachievers. That next year they're estimating that just the <clears throat> payments on the debt is going to be about one point one something trillion dollars. I mean, just, I just don't even know what to say to that. It's like we can see it coming. We know what's going to happen. I mean, we know, you know, we know what's going. Anyway, um, but of course, all that free money. I mean, there was some good done with it. I'm sure. I mean, I'm I'm sure, um, I'm sure it's all great. I'm sure that's going to be fantastic. But uh, the AP has got a story up that came up here a couple days ago talking about uh, this trend that over the last uh, three years there's been a trend uh, across the country of states that have cut their taxes in some way. Every state except for Alaska and Nevada has enacted either permanent tax cuts, temporary suspensions, or one-time rebates on their income, sales, property, or gas taxes. Uh, now, Alaska doesn't have any kind of statewide real any tax on private citizens. They have corporate taxes, but not on, you know, no income tax, no sales tax, no property tax. And uh, Nevada doesn't charge income taxes. But that is about to reverse. Um, in the the it, again, all of this seems to come from the fact that they all received large amounts of federal dollars uh, to you know from the pandemic era surge to try and protect us from ourselves. Um. Though even more tax cuts are likely, the story says, the trend may be slowing as 2024 legislative sessions begin because the pandemic-era revenue surge fueled by federal spending and inflation now is receding, and in some states, even reversing into negative numbers. California, where financial swings are felt more sharply than most states because it's California, the fifth largest economy in the world or whatever it is, they have a projected budget deficit this year of a record $68 billion. Now, they have hefty reserves in that state, but they ain't got $68 billion in reserves to get the job done. This, of course, a $68 billion deficit just a couple of years after enjoying a $100 billion surplus. Gavin Newsom is now facing a challenging task as he prepares to present the state budget this month. 
Though not in the same hole as California, other states have also seen tax revenues decline and spending exceed forecasts. Oh, shocking, I'll tell you. Shock. This reminds me of the... This reminds me of the chart that Brad had up this last uh, week where it was the fiscal outlook and the projected spending uh, over the next uh, over the next eight years. What the legislative finance division has from current law and what they expect the spending to. They say that in eight years, they're projecting that the spending will go up just under or just over, rather, I guess, just a hair over a billion dollars in eight years, which I think is just tremendously optimistic. Remember, the state budget would, if nothing else happened, if the if the legislature said, no, we're just going to do a walk on, we're not going to. We're not going to increase it at all. We're not going to give any extra monies. We're not creating any extra programs. We're not buying any constituencies. We're not doing anything. And they just let it ride, so to speak, put it on cruise control, that the state the state budget has got built-in escalators into it. That it it's gonna it's gonna it increases about one hundred and fifty million dollars a year automatically. So, I mean, that means that in an, in a 10-year period, the state budget should go up $1.5 billion. And they're saying that in eight years, it will only increase by about $1.1, $1.2 billion, which is basically they're just saying, oh, nothing else. That's exactly what they're saying, that this is going to be on cruise control and nobody will ever add anything to the budget. Oh, I hate to break it to you, sweet lips. That's not how it works. So when they start when they start saying that uh uh when they start saying that all of a sudden it's shocking, shocking, I tell you, that they're gonna that they're gonna they're gonna exceed spending forecasts. Yeah, that's not surprising at all. Arizona, for example, is going to face about a $400 million shortfall in 2021. Excuse me, in 2024, rather. Maryland's legislative staff recently projected a $761 million deficit by 2025, growing just in those same four years to nearly $2.7 billion without any significant revenue increases or spending reductions. I, I love it how they always put the new revenue ahead of the reductions. Do we have a spending problem or do we have a revenue problem? There you go. Minnesota, uh, <clears throat> Minnesota's budget office has a projected $2.4 billion surplus for the current two-year budget cycle could flip upside down in the next one, resulting in a $2.3 billion shortfall. For the 2026 fiscal year. Now, the question that the AP article asks, and and this is kind of the tone of the whole thing, it's hard to say how much, if any, of the projected shortfalls are attributable to tax rebates or reductions passed in each particular state. But in general, as tax collections slow, we're seeing the impacts of widespread tax cuts being implemented across the state. So we can't really say 
how much of it is attributable, but we're saying that it's all because you decided to give some kind of tax breaks to the consumer. That's the tone of the article, which is just fantastic. Just fantastic. It's not, it has nothing to do with the politician's inability to control their spending or do what they need to do or any of that other stuff. It's all due to the fact that they gave money back to those greedy taxpayers. How dare we have any taxpayer relief during the COVID pandemic or anything? How dare we do any of that? So, but again, you could just see, you can just see a lot of the parallels of what's going. Now, first of all, you could see the parallels in the idea that, I mean, I am all for cutting back on taxes and giving rebates and eliminating those things 100%, 100% uh, on board with that. But also we have to remember, and these, these people, these people being bureaucrats, states, functionaries, they were all warned that these federal dollars, that um, those were one-time dollars. And they should not bake them into the budget in such a way that it creates a problem. And yet, in state after state, municipality, counties, boroughs across the country, what did we see? We saw exactly what happened in Anchorage. They took one-time funds and they used them to pay ongoing reoccurring costs, in this case salaries, and then took the money that was going to be spent on salaries and they spent it on other things. And then when that money dries up, as they were told that it would, they are shocked. Shocked, I tell you, that this crisis has come about. We now have a $90 million shortfall that we had no way to know that this could happen. You know why we have a shortfall? It's because you, the legislature, you, the greedy citizens of Alaska, you just haven't given us enough to... to 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 fund these children and to do all this stuff that's a, you know it's an artificial crisis created by the same people that are now crying the blues on on not having enough money it's the same group of critters that were warned to not take one time money and, you know, and use it for reoccurring costs and, and apply it or dedicate it for reoccurring costs uh, because it, it, and then when they do, they're shocked that the, suddenly there were all these deficits that came out of nowhere because they, they, be, you know, what's the old, what's the old uh, um, uh, uh, axiom or, you know. The piss poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part kind of thing. That's where we're at with this. They were warned not to use the one-time funding and plug it into budgets as reoccurring costs because as soon as the money dried up, there would be a deficit. Shocker, I know. But I'm just showing you that Alaska is not alone on this. It's not just Alaska. It's not just the Anchorage School Board. It's everywhere. Uh, but as uh, old the old sage wisdom from Rahm Emanuel came about, you can never let a crisis go to waste. Especially a crisis that you created and can then leverage to your advantage. Because I mean, I, I swear, I swear, these people are not that stupid, right? I mean, we could come back at, we just, 
this is all, to me, I look at this and I go, this has got to be all part of the plan, of some kind of plan. They were told, they were warned, they were chastised to say, don't, please don't plan on using these things for long term because this is not a long, this is a one time offer. And they're like, oh, yeah, great, thanks. And then they take it and do exactly what they were warned not to do. And then when the money runs out, they all run around wringing their hands and telling people about, look at this crisis. Well, no, no, duh. No, duh, man. You were warned. Anyway, Alaska is not alone in this. I mean, the California one, $68 billion. Going from a $100 billion surplus to, I mean, you when you turn the fiscal train $168 billion in the wrong direction, that it just, this show, <clears throat> well, first of all, it shows you that there's just not enough money in the world to satisfy people. There's, there'll always be something else you want to spend that money on. There'll always be some other thing that's great, you know, and, and whatever, but that's the, that's the thing right there. That's, it just goes to show you that, you know, that that's, and California, they had the opportunity to pull the plug on Gavin Newsom and they didn't, which it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Anyway, I'm going to post this. Uh, <clears throat> well, I can't post the article because it's a. Uh, anyway, I will uh, post a. I will post a. Because uh, I'm in the back end of the. <laughs> anyway, it's an AP story. Uh, state tax cutting trends face headwinds. Uh, if you just Google the title, I'm sure you'll find it somewhere. Okay, uh, well, we're up against the break again. I still have got to get to my uh, ADN story, talking about the legislative session, uh, the updates and the headlines and the, the the big bullet points that are going to be hitting for this legislative session. And then we will be joined by Scott Ogan uh, in hour two, who is a former legislator and a former policy advisor for uh, Mike Shower, and we're going to come on board and, and we're going to talk about that stuff. Yep. Uh, so we're going to continue with that here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. We'll be back with more right after this. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Well, we got into a bit of a groove there. Uh, just getting Scott squared away here. Uh, can't talk and type at the same time this morning. 
well, I have a hard time doing that to begin with. So there you go. Okay, let me go back over here. <laughs> Somebody from Twitch, some rando from Twitch is up there going like, hey, great Santa show. Yeah, this is Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. Um, where can I find the article, said Donna. Okay, so Donna, uh, again, I was in the AP, the radio station's AP service. So I was reading the story from the AP directly. I don't have a direct outward public-facing link to it. But if you Google what I just posted, uh, the state tax cutting State tax cutting trend faces headwinds from declining revenues and tighter budgets. If you go back and look at that and Google that, I'm sure it will lead you to the AP story. Oh, I suppose I could give you the, uh, I suppose I could give you the author of the, uh, David A. Lieb from the Associated Press. David A. Lieb. There you go. Right there. David A. Lieb, Associated Press. So if you Google that, I'm sure you will find the story. I mean, I could do the work for you, I suppose. Where's my uh, Where's my thing here? Can I do that? Um, there you go. One day ago. This is, this is the wire story from David Lieb. Here we go. ABC News. <clears throat> so let me do the work here and get it to you. There you go. Right there. That's the same story. Uh, and it's from ABC News. Gruesome Newsom had the benefit of lots of state money to throw around to stave off the recall. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was, but it was, that's going to be costly. That's going to cost them in the end. I mean, the fact that some of these people didn't get recalled just even just over the pandemic regulations and restrictions and then the the fact that they were so draconian on most of the private citizens and yet at the same time they were going to their French laundry restaurant things and, the, and you know, getting their hair did and, and, you know, one rule for thee, another for me kind of thing. Shocking. Shocking. Uh, the fact that people just weren't up in arms about that just kind of shows me the, uh, well, it just kind of, it, the, oh, the humanity kind of thing, right? Like, I kind of lost my faith in humanity in a lot of that here. Um, <clears throat> Richard said, speaking of all the state stuff, he said, I just got a letter from the Minnesota Department of Revenue that it's a 1099 for $260 related to a one-time tax credit that I haven't received related to 2021 returns. I almost want to call them and tell them, no thanks, I don't want to pay taxes on it or have anything to do with that state. There you go. I mean, it just things just get more there that just get more wild by the minute. Donna says California is always like that with their swings. When I said that they swung swung around, you know, $168 million in the opposite direction, she said they're always like that. Their steeply progressive income tax causes wild swings in the revenue. Yeah, I mean, 
And, of course, the, the other fringe benefit to that is that it's driving people out of the state. But have no fear. Their answer is to, of course, <laughs> their answer to that is to have an exit tax out of California. If you plan on moving out of California, they're going to hit you one more time on the way out the door and tax you for leaving the state. I mean, it's just like they, they that place, man, that place is just astonishing. It's like they just double down. It's like we can't, you know, we can't get enough one way, so we'll double down and do it another way. And New York and some of these other places are considering the same thing. Because why? Because people are fleeing them, those tax jurisdictions. They're going to places like Florida and Texas and other places where they just don't have the same tax structures and schemes. They're opening up new businesses and manufacturers in other parts of the state or other parts of the country where they don't have those kind of rules. And their reaction is not to examine their own behavior. Their reaction instead is to just <clears throat> double down on it. That's what they're doing. California, they got the government they deserve, said Brian. Yeah, you're not, not, you're not wrong on that. You're not wrong on that. All right, let's uh, proceed ahead. Proceed ahead. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. All right, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show, hour one of the big radio show for this Thursday, which reminds me that means tomorrow is Firearms Friday. Yeah, baby. Oh, man, the first Firearms Friday of the year. We need to be talking to some people. We need to be, we need to be talking. Uh, anyway, that's tomorrow. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Let's, uh, let's stick around with today. And we'll see what goes on. We got Scott Ogan coming up here in hour two, former legislator and senior policy advisor for Senator Shower, <clears throat> former senior policy advisor for Senator Shower. He's going to be joining us uh, with his analysis of what he sees in the upcoming session as a longtime uh, behind the scenes guy and insider. We'll get uh, get some uh, deals on that. But let's uh, let's go over here and talk about some of the big things, the big political stories, the 2024 political stories to watch. That's what we're looking at right here. Um, and some of the, I mean, these are you know, most of these. I was going to say some of these, but that's you know, it, most of these are going to be no surprise. They're going to be no surprise for most of you uh, because that's just th – this is what's coming down the pike. We know it, but we've been talking about it. Some of it is a repeat from the last session, uh, and that's uh, where it tops all the stuff off here. It starts off with school funding. We know that's going to go on. 
Um, But again, one of the interesting quotes, and I talked, I quoted this yesterday and I talked about this, but uh, it was, it was just, it's so ironic. I, it's just so disappointing for those of us who supported uh, Mike Schauer uh, in his first term uh, and then held our nose and supported him maybe as a second choice vote, unranked choice voting, in his second term. But it's just so disappointing to see where this is going. When asked about his sales tax proposal that he promised earlier in 2023 and never delivered, Governor Dunleavy said in December, we're now in an election year. I don't know how much momentum is going to occur this year. Well, you know how much momentum is going to occur when you don't even present anything? I'm just I'm just saying it may not get off the ground, but at least you made the effort. I mean, what do you have to lose to I mean, you talk about it. You talked about putting the proposal out. You already took the the you know, you already expended the political capital by throwing it out there into the wild and taking heat from people for talking about creating a sales tax in the state. Um, so you might as well follow through on it. Because you already took the political hit to begin with. Not that I mean, when I say political capital with Governor Dunleavy, I just don't know how much I don't know how much it matters what he expends. I mean, he's a lame duck. Is he looking to run for the Senate? Is he looking to do something different? I, I don't know what his next plans are, but uh, it I, I just don't know. I don't know why. He had nothing to lose on this. And he could have taken a stand and he could have presented it as part of his budget. But he's just like, oh, you know, it's like I can't be bothered. There, no Nobody's going to pay attention to it anyway, so why bother? So it, we start off with that. Then, of course, one of the biggest issues is going to be school funding. We know it's coming. Again, we just talked about the federal dollars that were used to offset ongoing costs, and now it's a crisis because the monies are run out like shocking. We knew it was going to happen. And now they're talking about, you know, a $100 million deficit in the state, uh, excuse me, in the Anchorage School District, and other school districts are talking about closing schools, and it's just... It's 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 a well-oiled, well-orchestrated crisis. Uh, the the uh, Senate majority passed a bill it last year to increase the BSA, but of course that got cut. They took it outside the formula, put it outside the funding formula, making it a one-time appropriation. And to the governor's credit, he did veto half that funding. So I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to beat too hard on the governor because he at least did that. I would have thought that he should, I mean, I would have been, he he should have been a lot more um, not judicious. What's the opposite of judicious? He should have been a lot more liberal with that red pen. He should have just been splashing some red stuff everywhere on that budget, in my opinion. Again, he's he's got nothing to lose. It's not like he's coming up for re-election, right? Unless, of course, he's planning to run for you know, again, some kind of statewide national office, and he just want to kind of he wants to run the middle of the road so that he doesn't offend anybody coming up to the next election cycle. Um, Alaskans can expect this the school issue. Here's a quote: 
Alaskans can expect this issue to come roaring back when lawmakers convene in 2024. Educators say that with the federal pandemic relief exhausted, a boost to the state's formula is all the more necessary. Because now, can I just point a couple things out here real quick? How much time do I have? We're not going to get through all this, are we? We're not. Let me just point out a couple things. First and foremost, the pandemic relief money, especially for school districts, was meant to essentially help offset some of the costs of their new paradigm of remote learning and some of these other things. But they got, I mean, they they really pounded the drum and they got billions of dollars across the country. Now, at no time were many of these schools really in any danger of receiving less fun. They, they, cause they've got hold harmless provisions. They've got all these other things. There's, you know, there's uh, the state relief money, the federal relief money, all this money came down, but I just, I love how this, I love how this, this uh, comment in this article is worded. Educators say that with the federal pandemic relief exhausted, we got this huge influx of new money what we were living on before, before the pandemic, which was never quite enough, but, you know, we were doing pretty good. Now, because we've had all this new money, now we even need even more money when that money goes away. It's just, it's, it's, it's insatiable. It is insatiable. The, the how they just want to consume, consume, consume. Um, <clears throat> Dunleavy's budget draft release in mid-December didn't include a formula change, but the Senate majority has already signaled that it would remain a priority for them. Whether enough House members agree will be a pivotal question. The 2023 legislative session ended with the House majority in disarray and its Republican leaders promising to look inward for a clearer set of priorities in the coming session because that was the thing i mean they were in well they were in disarray first of all because the senate pulled an end run terrorist threat maneuver around them and then they gave in they negotiated with the terrorists and we can <clears throat> you can argue about whether or not uh things should have happened the way that they happened or anything else i just found the the abrogation of the process to me was the most offensive thing that i could possibly think of and we might talk with scott ogan about that here in hour two uh as well when we come up to him here in just a minute the second big thing that we're going to be expecting to talk about of course as we have talked about every year for the last eight years is the pfd the statute uh, has not been followed since 2016. Legislators have yet to agree on a long-term solution. Invariably, they're basically batting it around like a badminton shuttle. What is it? Is it a wiffle? It's a shuttle, right? The badminton, the little birdie is a shuttle. Uh, anyway, they're whacking it back and forth across the net the entire session, year after year. It invariably makes it difficult for lawmakers to agree, to, to agree on these politically difficult topics. Last year, the Senate majority passed a 75-25 dividend formula bill, 
which they said is their answer to the budget crisis. When presented with all these other options, the fiscal policy working group model and all these other things, they said, well, our answer is a 75-25, meaning we're going to take 75% of the money and cut people's PFDs by whatever. That's our answer. The It's just not, this is not, the PFD is not going to be solved this year. It's an election year. They may talk about it. I guarantee you it's not going to be solved. Man, I didn't even get into some of the other stuff. I got long-winded today. I apologize. We'll have to continue to pick this up. Trust me, we got time before the session starts. Back with more. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. God, I almost killed myself. <clears throat> I swall I, I inhaled a I inhaled a little spittle and <laughs> anyway. Uh Dunleavy has greatly offended me, says Terry. Yeah, I I know. I know. It's a tough thing. Tough thing. Um Apparently, Dunleavy's not too tired from getting on the national news outlets. That's why I've seen him nowhere else, said Gail. Yeah, I mean, he's good at riding the... I mean, I, he. this has really got to be a lead-up into some kind of race for the Senate. He's looking for a national stage. That's that's what I'm saying about... Um, you've said PFD five times in the last five minutes, says Tyler. You know who's going to call. Yeah, I know. I know. It's a thing. Um, what was the thing you said supporting? Was that a Freudian slip? Supporting Mike Shower? Maybe it was a Freudian slip. Uh, I meant Mike Dunleavy. <laughs> my, my bad. If I said supporting Mike Shower in his run for, can't, for, for his first term, I was talking about Mike Dunleavy. Maybe it was a Freudian slip. Um, let's, uh, we are actually listening. Okay. I'm just going through the last comments here. I see Scott Ogan is in the, uh, is in the green room. We're going to get to him here in a minute. Um, <clears throat> Brian says, I could see the tax. I could see the plane seats filling with taxpayer funded lobbyists going to beg for more money. That's the that's the typical situation, right? That's how it works. That's what's going on. Um, all right. Good morning from the Banks of Fair. Good morning, my friend. Thank you for coming on board. Okay. Donna said <clears throat> she read the article. First, states have huge balances, so they didn't spend or use all of it for tax breaks. Second, the states listed with budget problems are all blue states that are not tax cutters. They do mention Arizona having a $4 million projected deficit on an $18 billion budget. Not a big deal. Yeah, no, I mean, but again, what got me was that question, how they, how they, <clears throat> I didn't, and I didn't know that they were all blue states that were the, the problems that they're mentioning that had, but again, there, I love it how they say, 
um uh what did they say here um uh they were basically saying you know we the tax cuts can't be we can't say that they are the problem but they're essentially here we go it's hard to say how much if any of the projected shortfalls are attributable to tax rebates or reductions but in general, as tax collection slows, we're seeing a widespread. So it's they started out by saying it's hard to say how bad it is, and then they followed up with, "Oh, but it's bad." It's hard to say how bad it is, but it's bad. I just the writing on this stuff just drives me bananas, absolutely bananas. Uh, it's ten above in Fairbanks. What is it here? Uh, it's got to be pretty warm. Is it thirty? Oh, it says it's twenty. That can't be right. It says, well, that's 21, 21 degrees. Okay, it is right. All right, I lied. It's right. Okay, um, let's uh, let's get to, let me get, let's go over and check in with Scott and test his audio and make sure everything is all good to go. Uh, we'll bring him on board and uh, see how things are going. We'll, we'll do it uh, right now. Good morning, Scott. How are you? Uh, how are you doing this morning? Whoops. I got, you're muted. Uh, did I mute you? No, you've muted yourself. There we go. There we go. How you doing? How you doing, my friend? How are things going? Just great, man. I'm just finishing up breakfast here. So I'm <laughs> just just a second. So yeah, doing well. Okay, good, good. Well, I just wanted to test the audio and, and make sure we're all good to go. I'll drag you back into the green room and we'll uh, be ready to go here as soon as we restart the hour. Okay. Copy. All right. You hold on. We'll be right back to you here in just a moment. He's just finishing breakfast. Now I'm jealous. I should have had breakfast this morning. That would probably have been a good idea. That would have gotten, give me, it's the most important meal of the day. Don't you know that? Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, let's see. Why do we even bother about the PFD? We're beating a dead horse. Yeah, I know it. it, it just because we know it's going to go away, does that mean we stop fighting about it? I mean, really, that's the. Does that even? I, I just I know that if this is a at this point, this is a run. This is like a fighting retreat at this point. I mean, I just have a feeling it's going to go away. But does that mean that we stop fighting because we think that the battle is lost? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it, Bill. I'm not gonna fight. You gotta fight. Fight till the end. I'm gonna do what we can do. That's all we can do right now. Maybe something. Be, Scott's audio could be louder. I will turn Scott up when we get him back on the program. His audio could be a little louder. We will work on that. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, we're coming up on it. Uh, our uh, hour two continues. Scott Ogan, our guest. We'll be diving into his article in Must Read, which I will post a link to in the chat room right now. So you can read along at home. Just do that. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio.
Muddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska. This is your favorite radio station and or FM translator. The website's where you can find links to everything. The audio-only live stream, the pod... Oh, man. It just reminded me that I didn't start the live stream this morning. I am a bad radio host. But you can still listen to it on the podcast. If you missed it, you can go back and watch it and stream it on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, everything else, that's the best way to go. Hour two, though, kicking things off, ready to jump into it. Our guest this hour is uh, Scott Ogan, who is a former legislator and also uh, now a brand new, formerly new uh, uh, policy advisor uh, for uh, senior policy advisor to State Senator Mike Schauer. Uh, he was uh, serving with Shower uh, as his senior policy advisor from 2019 to 2023. But he's been around the block a day or two, uh, and he has seen a lot of what's happened behind the scenes in the legislature. And he has written a recent article here that came out yesterday, day before, uh, talking about the top 10 policy proposals, the left fork in the road policy proposals that are more uh progressive, liberal, what word are we using these days? Whatever it is, the left-leaning ideas. Although, again, that kind of falls foul of what we were talking about yesterday. But bigger government ideals, I guess, is what we should say. Anyway, Scott's got some good analysis, and I started reading through this and said, you know, why don't I just bring him on instead of talking, uh, uh, reading through the article and walking you through it? Let's bring Scott on to discuss it and uh, <clears throat> get him to join us. And he's with us uh Right now, so let's bring on Scott uh, Ogan here this morning. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing pretty good for an old guy. Not not too bad for an old guy. Yeah, we're getting uh, we're getting things squared away. So um, basically, we've been talking here for a while uh, on the program. Uh, not so much coming into Christmas, but prior to that, we kind of know some of the things that are coming up. Some of the big major issues that are going to be the legislature is going to be kind of focused on. Now, I don't know if anything's going to get solved because it is an election year. But, of course, we're going to see school funding. We're going to see issues with the PFD. We're going to see issues with defined benefits. Um, you know, the, the, just the big, big things for sure. But you've got down into the weeds a bit here, and you're taking a look at some of the individual bills and what they mean. And so, walk us through this, uh, Scott. And let's start off with uh, let's start off with the uh, uh, with your article, and walk us through some of these different uh, the the top ten from ten to one, these big bills and what we should be watching out for in each one, and what your analysis is of each one. You bet. Hey, uh, I have a little bit of a technical problem. I couldn't get my printer to work this morning. I wasn't talking to my iPad. 
And um, so uh, if you could start out with. Sure, I'll walk, the, I'll walk you bill. through it. So we started off with uh, number 10 of your, you know, countdown from 10 to 1 of the left fork policy proposals is HB 153, the oil and gas uh, property tax bill from Representative Cliff Grow. Uh, it says Alaska's this is the the you start off by basically putting the language of the, of the statement. It says Alaska's reliance on savings accounts to fill budget deficits. It's no longer sustainable without risking the future of the permanent fund. We need new revenues and changing the oil and property tax is one way to raise new revenues in a predictable fashion. What uh, what's your analysis and thoughts on this? Well, my whole point is that, you know, Alaska is a very mature uh, oil province and um and if you look at who's left the slope, for example, uh, you know, we no longer have BP. Um, I just checked uh, yesterday with Division of Oil and Gas. Exxon is a player, but they don't have any staff in uh, Alaska anymore. They're part owner and uh, uh, and uh, uh, one of the major fields up there, the unit is slipping my mind, but but they, um, uh, Port Thompson, I'm sorry. And um, so, but. Hillcorp's the operator. So, and any mature oil province uh, has the big guys move out and the smaller, more efficient guys move in. Unfortunately, we're lucky to have Hillcorp. They're they're a tremendously efficient operator. They're real good at work. Um, so, you know, I, I worked for an energy company. I got my hat handed to me politically for it uh, with Evergreen Resources. Uh, it took a couple of years to uh, develop that the idea to uh, go ahead and try to explore. It took about 20 minutes for the board to pull out. Um, so, um, you know, and then we got Hendricks down in uh, Homer. He's the only Alaskan owned um, producer uh, and he's operating in, I think it's called the kitchen unit in Cook Inlet. It's an onshore drilling site. And his whole thing is that he's appealed uh, this, uh, tax revenue issue quite a couple of times and lost where he bought it for way less than uh, what the state evaluate, valued it and then he's getting taxed at that higher value even though he's the market says it's worth less and you know he's a he's a local guy trying to make uh, gas and cook inlet. Cook inlet gas is a big deal. It was what we were looking at with Evergreen when we started drilling for uh, coal bed methane wells and um, um, we're back 15 years later. We had a little bit of a renaissance in Cook Inlet with uh, some reductions um, in, in some credits. And, uh, you know, um, there's, there's some people who like to kill the, the goose that's laying the golden egg, and Democrats are are doing, doing it to it uh we are again declining production although they are saying we had a, a, some analysis with brad uh earlier this week where he showed the he showed the numbers production is projected to increase but in the long run because of the changes to the oil taxation and everything else the the revenues are actually going to drop we'll be producing more oil and taking less dollars in in the long run do you think this bill is a good start or what, I mean, what, you know, or is it going completely in the wrong direction? Oh, I absolutely think it's going in the wrong direction. You can't tax yourself into prosperity and, and uh, you know, we need to uh, be, uh, as far as Cook Inlet is concerned, I don't, honestly, it's in the state's best interest to have, to be able to turn on our lights and uh, 
have heat in our homes and have that cost effectively. I mean, it's hard to believe that we might be actually looking at importing LNG into Alaska. That That's kind of a interesting thought considering Alaska had the first LNG export in the world. You know, our LNG plant was the first one and it ran for decades. And now we don't have enough gas to, uh, uh, <clears throat> who knows what's gonna happen with the gas. We know there's a shortage. The governor's got a bill coming out. Uh, I talked to oil and gas a couple of days ago and it didn't make the first pre-file. Uh, I'm not sure what's in it. I, I suspect it might be a royalty reduction for Cook Inlet Gas and bring it on. Uh, Scott Ogan is our guest. We're talking about his top 10 left fork in the road policy uh, proposals that he's analyzing. We move on to number nine. This is from uh, <coughs> Andrew Gray out of Anchorage, HB 184, short-term rental unit registry. Basically, it would amend Section 34.90.04, limitation on the number of short-term rental units. An operator may register or operate only one short-term rental unit at a time under this chapter, which comes back to a lot of the NIMBY stuff that we're seeing and the you know people doing VRBOs and Airbnbs and things like that. They're trying to limit people's ability to capitalize on their property i in my opinion but give me your analysis of this well i mean one of the foundation tenets of a free market capitalist society is to be able to invest in and in, uh properties that make you money build your wealth um i had a vacation rental for a year i just sold it um a couple of years ago uh i timed it really nicely to coincide with uh, the day the interest rates went up so I hit the peak of the market. Um, I reinvested in my business um, in Soldovia, built a brand new boat and uh, with part of it and bought some more land with the rest of it. I mean, so now Andrew's coming along with an idea that you can only own one, you know, the hotel lobby will like it. Uh, but, um, you know, it it reeks of socialism. What can I say? Well, I mean, and, and I think that's the thing. I mean, with the gig economy uh, and the changes, you know, the, the problem with government or maybe the benefit with government is that it is such a behemoth that it, it is not agile. It cannot change as technology changes. And we've seen this across the country with, again, the gig economy of, you know, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Airbnb and all these other things. And it's shifting the paradigm. It's taking the protectionism that government provides to many of these industries, and it's kind of turning it on its head. And these industries are throwing their hands up in a panic like, well, I, you know, uh, but this is, again, this is an essential piece of the free market economy. If you have a piece of property, you should have the right to be able to use it in a way that's profitable for you. To try and restrict people to one piece of property, I mean, that... That's not even just socialism. That seems like communistic at that point. Yeah, uh, Fidel Castro sat up in his grave and saluted. You know, what can I say? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, if you want to, uh, the, I mean, this is a regulatory taking is what you said. This measure is at best an extreme regulatory taking. Uh, I think that's being way too kind to try and limit you to one short-term rental unit. Um, and, and again, it's specifically only targeting, it's not long-term rentals. It's only targeting those people who would like rent out their place for an Airbnb or a VRBO. 
that seems to have become kind of a bad word these days. That that or the the that that they are blaming people for being bad actors for wanting to cash in on a free market idea. Well, and the market will regulate itself. I mean, uh, when I started, there wasn't as many uh, rentals, uh, VRBO type rentals out there, and the prices were better. And everybody jumped on the bandwagon, and it forced the prices down. Um, so I think the market kind of—it's one of the reasons I got out of it. Um, plus, I just got ha- tired of the hassle of having to always—you um, know—I was at my business down in Soldovia, and I—and I had to have a manager to track it and clean it and make sure that and if there was a problem, I had to get things fixed. It's—it's it's a lot right. of work. So I think the free markets are regulated. If there's too many. Uh, People will get out of the business. So, yeah. Uh, number eight on your list of top, or number uh, seven? No, number eight. Sorry, on your list of top Sorry. ten. Uh, HB forty six child care providers. This is actually going to be a new thing. We touched on it a little bit in the last session, but child care as a governmental service. This is the next big battle for a lot of the big government progressives, and even some Republicans are in on this, where they are just want, oh, we can't do it on our own. The free market can't make it. I mean, they've created this regulatory environment that makes it difficult to become a child care provider, and now they're like, we've created the crisis, so now government has should pay for it in all aspects. HB 46 would empower our small business child care providers to negotiate with the state to improve wages, working conditions, and training. More regulations, of course, always have led to more efficient operations. Give me your thoughts on this bill from Zach Fields. Well, it's more than negotiate with the state. It's, it's, uh, it, you, you know, they want, he wants to unionize the, the child care uh, workers, and that's just going to run the cost of child care up. It's already astronomical. It drives a lot of people to stay on public uh, assistance. Um, the people that uh, uh, can uh, pay the extra amount for union child care workers will be uh, suffering more under Bidenomics. And it's, inflation's already eating holes in everybody's budget. I see it in my business. Our business is down. All, all the the higher end lodges, Ketchumac uh, Bay are down. People aren't spending money. So, um it'll just have another ripple effect in the economy uh it it's again uh this shocked me when this first started coming out late last session when they started talking about it and they started looking at the numbers and what they were proposing and what they want to do he wants to unionize it but now the fact that they want to subsidize all health all child care in the state and make it a state offered service at this point basically making all of these child care providers subcontractors to the state or beholden to the state you know again I would just say be ungovernable. Find that little old lady down the street and pay her a few bucks to watch your kids uh, rather than uh, rather than try and, and jump through all these hoops. We're going to continue here with the top 10. Scott Ogan is our guest. We are up against it here. we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue uh, the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We will return with more and Scott Ogan in just a moment. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. (laughs) Ha, nice beard. 
The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Scott Ogan is our guest here on the program uh, as we go through. Uh, I don't want to get too far into anything else until we get back to the radio. Uh, Scott, you mentioned it, uh, and so let me give you give a give us a plug for what you do. You you've got a great place down uh, down uh, uh, in Soldovia, right down on the down on the uh, lower uh, Kenai there. Uh, tell us a little bit about what your business is down there. You you've been uh, running the lodge and everything else. Give us a give us a sneak peek. Yeah, we built a a, a treehouse lodge on uh, in Saldovia Bay. It's about two miles south of Saldovia on the opposite side of the bay. Uh, it's a full service lodge. Uh, we have uh, I just built a beautiful twenty um, eight uh, foot landing craft to support it with twin one seventy five Zooks. Uh, that boat is coming on this this year. Um, like I said, I sold my my vacation rental and reinvested that money into my business. And um, so we, my wife and I, run it with uh, with a young man to help us. And um, we're small. We we don't want more than six guests. We have like um, uh, shoulder season specials, so Alaskans can afford to come down and and, and stay. And then we our rates go up during the prime season, and we specialize in small private groups we you know try not to get multiple groups in um so you have individualized attention you get to go where you want to go we fish halibut salmon rockfish lingcod um bear view um it's uh you know living the dream you know i'm doing what i'd love to do and and it's an awesome property uh treehousecove.com if you want to check it out all right. Well, that's good. I mean, and you know, <laughs> that's the free market way to go where the money is. We want to bring, you know, we want to we want to cater to people who've got money. That's the whole point of uh, that's the whole point of uh, a business in the free market, right? So you create, you're finding right. a need and filling a need. And we we get some wonderful guests. I mean, we we give them a, a, a true Alaskan experience. And my wife was born and raised here, and I've been here since seventy. Done it all, so it's uh, we have a good time. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I've never been to Soldovia. I'm going to have to make a trip down there here. One of these days, every time I get to Homer, I just like stop. I'm like, okay, end of the road. This is where I want to be. That's a, that's, you know, that's the way to be. Um, well, I love Homer, but the best part about Homer Soldovia is a 45 minute boat ride right across the bay. And there's a day ferry that goes over twice a day and, um, Soldovia Bay ferry, uh, the village tribe owns it. It's a big catamaran fast boat. And, but I pick up my guests in the, in the harbor, the, my full service guests, and uh, then we, we make an adventure getting to the lodge um, by doing a tour of the south shore of Ketchumac Bay. And But again, treehousecove.com. Check it out. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. I'll have to come down and see you here one of these days. Uh, come on down. down. Yeah, down, down there. If you don't stay with us, I'll show you around. Okay. Um I, I, I want to touch base uh, since we've got how much time we got here. We got a minute and a half. Uh, I want to touch again here on the child care thing. I think that's going to be the next big push. Um, I mean, you know, they're going to want to fight for defined benefits. They're going to want to fight for school funding. But the next big fight on the horizon after they try and tackle those is going to be this child care because it's a universal issue. Many people have kids. Child care is expensive. Part of that expense is due to government regulation. But I mean, this is the next big money money pit for uh, for big government folks, be they Republicans or Democrats. This is the next big one, right? Well, you know, I spent ten years in both House and Senate, and 
you know, I had Vic Coring, that was my, my, uh, kind of my, we were both the, probably the more conservative people in, in the legislature. And, and even when we had really conservative, solid Republican majority, I, I asked Ledge Research to give me a list of all the new programs we created since we have oil wealth. And this woman went, really? Do you realize how much work that is? She worked on it for a year. Um, the list was exhaustive. I walked into my conservative caucus and said, hey, here's a list. Let's get rid of some of these programs. And uh, everybody looked at me like, we have constituents that want those programs. We can't, we can't eliminate any programs. And so <laughs> the left just wants to add them. And, you yeah, know, the right's not willing to cut and the left just wants to add. That's a combination that is that's a match made in hell right there. All right. Scott. That's why I think I've seen one program go away. And that that was a, a glitch. Um, the Coastal Zone Management Program went away. My 25 years I've been watching this. All right. We got to get back into it here. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry, not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Whew, I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. All right, we're continuing with uh, Scott Ogan, former legislator, state senator, representative, and uh, also just recently retired as a senior policy advisor to uh, state senator Mike Schauer. We're going through his top 10 list. Of the top ten left of the for, left fork in the road policy proposals, what he considers to be the 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 bad ones here. We're on to number seven, which is HB one fifty six from Representative Elise Galvin, uh, who is the independent from Anchorage. I love that. Uh, it's the income tax. Uh, her comment is: nobody wants to implement a tax on Alaskans, but we're out of time and out of options. Through a broad-based tax, Alaskans will now have a direct stake in the state government spending responsibly, which uh, which eerily echoes some of the things that Brad Keithley has talked about here, although he's talking about a flat tax. Um, but the bottom line is, I think this is inevitable and is coming, uh, but I'm not necessarily thrilled by her idea. What's your analysis of this bill? Well, I think there was some adults in the room a couple of years ago that sat down, and, and it was a bipartisan group. Mike Shower was part of it. Um, and, you know, Mike's a smart guy. He's got an MBA. He, he just, he's not really that dogmatic. He just wants to solve problems. And Ben Carpenter, um, there was a few guys from the left that were on that on that panel. And they, they came up with some things that I don't like. Uh, but it was a comprehensive approach of, um, of, look, we've got to have a constitutional spending cap. We've got to have, a, let's put the permanent fund and into the constitution and set that amount let's quit fighting over it every year you know let's let's uh let's get it set in stone because that doesn't drive the whole discussion uh some broad-based taxes some uh you know maybe some budget cuts uh you know the, the best i think you can hope to do is just put a limit on spending um but, uh, uh, you know, Elise is a really nice lady. I, I like her personally. She's delightful. I've known her for quite a few years. And But, you know, I, I kind of called her out in the article about, you know, let's have some truth in advertising here. You're not really independent. You're, um, and, and, but there are options. And I just recommended that she look at it. And um, uh, we're, we, we act like, uh, 
you know, teenagers with a trust account, you know, as a state, and um, uh, we have all this money we can spend. And, you know, the liberals are like, well, look at all this money. And, you know, why are we even holding back? Let's create all these new, their idea, and I brought this up in one of the other segments uh, of economic development is a, is a government job or ex- expansion of government programs. That's that development to liberals and Democrats. Well, it's not just it's not just Democrats. I mean, it, you know, the, the famous quote uh, from uh, from uh, Natasha von Imhoff before we've got so much money we don't know what to do with. She's, she had the perfect plan to spend a lot of that stuff. That's the thing. It's almost like at this point, I don't even know if it's beneficial to label Republicans and Democrats. We should be looking through the lens at each individual as whether or not they are pro-government spend, pro-big government or pro smaller free market, smaller government, less government spending. And that's the problem. As you pointed out earlier in the uh, uh, in the last segment or late in the last segment, rather, is that you had a bunch of Republicans that didn't want to cut programs. Right. They didn't want to. They go, oh, we can't cut programs. We've got constituents. Well, you want to solve this. And you mentioned, again, Ben Carpenter and Mike Shower and JKT and, you know, a lot of these a lot of these people came together in that fiscal policy working group, a completely separate group of folks, some of the most conservative, some of the most liberal, and they came out with a unanimous decision in the end that it had to be a holistic approach. Nobody was happy with the overall thing, but that was kind of the way compromise works. It was a holistic plan with a bunch of different points that had to be taken on, and nobody's paid attention to that. Yeah, and a really sad thing is, you know, leaders like uh, Mike Schauer, um, are, are just marginalized and hey has no committee assignments i mean it's absurd it's like the people with the real solutions and and that have demonstrated they can work with people on both sides of the aisle and and be the adults in the room uh you know they, he's completely cut out and that's one of the reasons i resigned i mean i got tired of pushing rope uphill and it was uh we couldn't get bills through couldn't do anything and and uh, uh it was taking me away from my business All right, let's move on to number six. Uh, This is HB 43, conversion therapy ban from Representative Andy Story out of Juneau. HB 43 (laughs) would prohibit physicians, physicians assistants, psychiatrists, psychologists, psychological associates, and other practitioners of the healing arts licensed by the state from treating a person under the age of 18, as well as vulnerable adults with a therapy or regimen that seeks to change their sexual orientation or gender identity. Nothing in the legislation affects any individual's expressive speech, tenets, or practices outside of that context, is what Andy Story says about her piece your analysis on HB 43. Well, you know, on its face, some people might say, well, it's not a bad thing to not let people do that. But if you're a parent and you have a child that's gender confused, uh, and man, the pressure, the peer pressure and the pressure from the schools is phenomenal. Um, There's, I mean, I'm 71 years old. Growing up, we knew a couple of gay kids, but there was, there was a, a small handful and um nowadays it's like it's the end thing it's like a cool thing it's like when i was a kid it was cool to be a hippie and when nowadays it's cool to be trans you know and 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 then they're letting children make these uh very adult decisions we don't let people vote till they're 18 and drive till they're 16 and they aren't a you know can't drink till you're 21 but they can make a life-changing decision 
that will affect them. And it's irreversible with some of the drugs they use and the surgeries and the genital mutilations. I mean, you name it. Uh, I think it's plain child abuse. And, and to take away a parent's ability to um, take their child to a mental health professional to, uh, you know, have them sort through their feelings is uh, uh, just more woke leftism, in my opinion. Well, yeah, it's very difficult. I, I love the videos that I see sometimes on YouTube, you know, people on the street, interviews on the street where they're asking people, you know, if your 12 uh, year old child wanted to get a wanted to get a tattoo, would you let them? And they're like, absolutely not. Would you let them go out and buy alcohol? Absolutely not. Would you allow them to take puberty blockers? Well, that's uh, OK. You know, I mean, that's, a, again, an irreversible, in some cases, life choice at a very, very young age. They can't get a tattoo, but they they can they can mess up their bodies and block their hormones and everything else. That's a tough situation. And the fact that they can't even take them to somebody who could walk them through their problems is uh uh, again, to me, that's an invasion of privacy and and an and, and a usurpation of parental rights. Well, I made the point in the article we should level the playing field. If we're going to do it for those people, let's let's ban teachers uh, advocating. Uh, how about higher education? Uh, how about let's uh, ban um, the uh, you know drag queen story hours in, in libraries? Of course, those are all First Amendment violations, uh, and so is this. But I, I don't think it's going anywhere, especially with some good people that we have in the house, especially that are going to be a roadblock to these bad things happening. Uh, but um, it's just, a, it's amazing how much traction this issue has gotten in the last uh, few years. And um, I had a good friend of mine, uh, very liberal uh, thought, but we're good buddies. We had a lot, we talked a lot. We got together for lunch about once a month years ago and just chatted and he was a smart guy and we, we like to banter issues. He sent his daughter off to college and she came back a, a, a man, you know, and I could, as liberal as he was, I could tell it really bothered him, you know, I mean, he wasn't going to have grandkids, you know, so. Right. No, that's it. that goes back to my, my favorite, one of my favorite axioms was don't be surprised when you send your children to Rome and they come back as Romans, uh, <laughs> you know, exactly. that's a, it's, it's not shocking in that regard. Uh, all right, let's move over to uh, number five here before we uh, come up on the break. SB 52, the base student allocation increase from Senator Loki Tobin of Anchorage. In recent years, flat funding and inflation have degraded Alaska's vital system of public education. Without additional funding, Alaska will see increasingly large class sizes and continued uh, teacher and staff attrition. Uh, I will point out that that teacher and staff attrition is not an Alaska problem. That's a nationwide problem. Uh, but the base student allocation increase that she advocates is, of course, we, that's one of the main tunes we've heard over the last 18 months uh, is that uh, we just it's been flat funded. We just haven't increased education. We just haven't done anything. We're way behind the power curve. Uh, so your thoughts on this bill? Well, you know, we've got a very well organized uh, NEA that um, represents teachers. Um, they got the tough job. I mean, uh, you know, it, it is a tough job. One of the things that Shower looked into, uh, we, oh, he has a guy on his staff, uh, Naresh, that is very good with numbers. And they looked into the past increases and where they went. And so little of the money actually went into the classroom and went into the teacher's salaries. 
most of it was gobbled up with uh, uh, you know administrative overhead and um, and and hey you know our our education system in Alaska is one of the lowest in the country we have horrible uh, numbers and in, in outcomes so um, you know I, I think if there was a an increase a reasonable increase with some metrics that required uh, performance um, increase better performance or went into specific programs that we knew was going to get into the classroom and help teachers and and provide more materials and and there was going to be an, a better outcome with with the students uh, I think most people would support it but there's never any of those metrics uh, on the table and shower went into the committee and testified on that I, I told him I said just go in and testify as like a public member since they don't let you sit on any committees that's your voice and he did and he brought up these numbers and the teachers in the room started supporting what he was saying right well it's the the whole thing is ironic first of all the fact that we have been spending exponentially ever increasing amounts of educate on money on education outside of the formula so they act like there's been no increases it's a disingenuous argument to begin with uh, but there used to be a caveat that said when they put money in the BSA that a certain portion of it was required to be spent in the actual classroom and that's that's been jettisoned and revoked um, because as you said most of this is going to overhead and staff and teacher and it's not making it into the actual classroom uh that would be the only way i think most people would actually support something like that is if the money was actually making it into the classroom or into a specific program as you talked about well the principals that would come into our office um last year i, I would ask a tough question i go what's your policy on sexually explicit materials in your library Oh, well, uh, uh, well, we, we listened to parents, you know, and, um, and, uh, and I was kind of the hard line. I was the bad cop. I was like, well, I don't think the Senator is going to support any new funding until we get all that taken care of, you know? So, you know, there's this whole, you know, let's stop sexualizing children. It's, it's, a, there's enough of it on the internet for crying out loud. And everywhere you turn, I mean, you know, yeah. you open Facebook, there's, <laughs> racy yeah. stuff on there instagram uh, soft porn i mean and the kids are on that all the time and i don't know it's it's i i i have grandkid i have a grandkid and and um you know i, I fear for young people these days it's just yeah tough and well, and surprisingly, uh, Donna mentions that Shower put up a budget amendment to require that any additional BSA funding go to the classroom, and that only got three votes. I thought this was about the children. I thought this was about teaching the children. It only got three votes. That's That right there uh, is insane. All right, we're going to continue with Scott Ogan here in just a moment. Uh, we're going over his article in Must Read Alaska, uh, the top 10 left fork in the road policy proposals. We will continue here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. The final four up next with Scott Ogan right after this. Listen to by more staffers in Juneau than any other show because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show.
Okay, Scott Ogan, uh, our guest here as we continue. That's what always, you know, first what offends me mostly about this, uh, Scott, is the, as I said, the disingenuousness of the argument. Uh, The talking points and the newspapers have done a great job of just picking this up and running with it is that, oh, education has been flat funded. Oh, we haven't increased education. Oh, we're falling. We're abrogating our constitutional responsibility. And yet when you look at the numbers, and we have Sarah Montalbano on from the Alaska Policy Forum, who's their educational analyst, and she shows you that over the last 20 years, uh, education has increased 20%. Uh, 20 something, 27 percent or something over the last 20 years, the educational spend. Uh, No. Has it all gone into the BSA? No. But the BSA is not going into the classroom. So does that I mean, what difference to to quote a famous uh, what difference does it make? You are we are spending more in education. Uh, We're just not baking it into the cake, so to speak. Well, that's. That's true. And, and, you know, if you ultimately, um, well, you look at some of these other countries and, and the level of education that they're um, giving their kids, um, you know, China, Japan uh, in particular, um, America's falling behind, you know, the, the sciences, the math, the engineering, all these critical things that we need. Uh, it's and then and then they go to the higher education level and just get woke and brainwashed and um, get a degree that they have a huge student debt for and then they want everybody to pay for their student debt. You know, the uh, University of Alaska has to have remedial classes. Uh, basically, you go to college, you have a lot of students. A significant portion of those students have to take remedial basic uh, math and English and things like that just to get up to one-on-one college level. So we're not preparing kids that do go to college uh, for college. And and guess what? The college knows how to teach it because they've got to get it done to uh, have students be successful at one-on-one classes. So um, that says a lot. When I discovered that issue, that was about 15, 16 years ago, uh, I had a I had a guest on a program who was an anonymous guest because he didn't want to out himself, but he worked in the education system at the university, and he told me the number at that time was sixty two percent of the students had to take remedial math courses just to be able to get into a hundredth level math class in college. Sixty two percent had to wow. take remedial courses. That is insane. When your education system, your K through 12 education system is failing so hard that you got to give them extra education just to get into a basic math class in college, that's a serious, serious issue. That it is. And that that says it all. So um, let's see those performance numbers and metric go up. And and if we're going to put some money, new money into it, make sure it it prepares kids for college you know, and why not prepare them for life? You know, why not have life courses, balance checkbooks and, you know, uh, file taxes and things like that, you know, they don't have, I don't think they have home economics anymore. They used to, and they yeah. used to have auto shop. Yeah. And, I know, teach, uh, them, yeah, teach them how to cook some food, teach them how to balance a checkbook, teach them how to do a few of these things that are, you know, kind of life skills. I mean, those were some of my favorite times in in school was when I was taking some of those courses because that was skills that I felt like I could use these moving forward. 
when I was in the legislature, I uh, used to go to Palmer Chamber all the time, and the Matsu hired a uh, a gal that was a her her focus was to prepare students to work in the workplace. And they came into the chamber and said, "What do we? What do you guys need? You know, tell us as employers, what do you need?" And every to a person, everybody said, "I need people that can do simple math, that can make change, that can write a paragraph, you know, that can speak well, you know." Uh, just simple, basic skills, and and now I, you know, Matsu to their, I think it's one of the better school districts in, in um, in the state, and uh, they do, they still have a conservative board, and uh, and and they they've got some great uh, technical programs. I mean, I you know, I made most of my living building. Uh, I was a, in the building trades, and and before I got elected, and then I kind of got a lay law education, and and uh, in the legislature, but, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, you know, my son works on the slope where he did for a couple of decades and boy, he makes fabulous money up there, you know, there's, but. The trades, the trades are where it's at as far as this, I mean, uh, you know, as far as the ratio of debt to education, debt to income, uh, the trades are still where it's at, and the demand is huge right now for many of these trades. That's that's why it help. Yeah, you know, it's impossible. I've encouraged all my kids to go that route because that just that's what makes sense. Scott Owens, our guest. Uh, we got our last four um, bills <clears throat> that we're going to talk about real quick here. We got about ten minutes before we run out of the hour. You can find the link to his article in the chat room right here. We'll be back with more of the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell. Here we go. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. All right, we're back. Scott Ogan, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. I appreciate you being on. Thanks, Scott, for coming on and taking uh, the time to do go through this. I look forward to reading some of your uh, future stuff. He's doing a lot more writing for Must Read Alaska. Uh, the article is the top 10 left fork in the road policy proposals. We're down to the last four. Uh, let's get on to number four, SB 88. A restoration of the defined benefits program from Senator Kathy Giesel. Uh, she says that SB 88 addresses Alaska's workforce challenges with recruitment and retention head on through establishing a new defined benefit retirement plan for police officers, firefighters, teachers and other public employees. Recruitment and retention are essential, uh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but there's some poison pills in this. Uh, one is the fact that uh, what she doesn't tell you is that this just doesn't work with new employees. This would be retroactive to basically 27, 28, 30,000 employees across the state would all of a sudden be dumped into a defined benefits program that they have not been paying into since 2007 or whatever it is since we made the change. Uh, 2014, I guess, whatever, whenever we made the change. Uh, give me your thoughts on this bill, uh, Scott. Well, what's interesting and what I pointed out in the article is I was in the building when uh, Senator Stedman eliminated the defined benefits program. Um, uh, liability and and we still haven't funded the liability uh, a few years ago i think there was several billion dollars that were put on uh, in, into uh, covering that unfunded liability so we've got a multi-billion dollar um, 
uh, outlay that that the state's going to have to make to uh, keep up with this uh, obligation. And by the way, it's a constitutional obligation. Um, so, um, so I, I, I'm, you know, I have a lot of mistrust. I don't necessarily believe the numbers, or I don't think it's a good policy to. Well, we haven't even we haven't even really gotten any good numbers out of it. The fiscal notes have been kind of all over the place. There's no real analysis of what this is eventually going to cost. But as you pointed out, we still have the current unfunded liability for the for the past defined benefits program is somewhere in the seven or eight billion dollar range. We still owe that money to that defined benefits program. And now you want to start up a new one that includes everybody that has been with us since the last one was capped off. I mean, billions of dollars is the is the numbers. You know, uh, I I pay off my credit card bill every month, right? And and the state uh, has that uh, that charge on their bill that they keep making the minimum payment on. And I think it's if if the responsible thing to do would be to make that original program whole and see how that goes before you create a new additional uh, unfunded liability. So that's what. You know, the state operated its checkbook like the rest of us have to. Uh, of course, there's some people that have a trust account and they don't have to worry about it. They they know at some point uh, they can tap that trust account. I guess that's the mentality. It's uh, definitely, definitely frustrating. Uh, Donna says the defined benefits bill has a fiscal note of $1.2 billion. I think that's just a start, uh, quite honestly, uh, when it comes down to it. Like you said, better to pay off the previous unfunded liability before we add to it. Let's move on to the third of uh, of the top 10, HB90 from Rep. Zach Fields, capping the dividend at $1,000. Um, with I mean, that's it. Just caps it at $1,000. That's yep. what they want to do. You don't need money. Um, yeah. Well, you know, that's Zach Fields is uh, – He's probably the prime example of the most left person in then him and Andrew Gray, I think maybe, uh, but but definitely Zach and and he's a you know he's in the back pocket of the union, so I think it just displays what the public employee union's agenda is. They want to uh, they want to tap that permanent fund and and uh, you know so yeah, just cap it at a thousand. But you know. You know, let's put the let's put the issue on the table and let's figure out what that amount's going to be. Shower was always like, "Look, the statute formula is this, and if we need to have the policy discussion of changing that because the economics of the state have changed, and they have, they we're not." I look, I was looking at some old the old Zobel case, uh, uh, reading that, uh, and they were talking about how you know the state budget is like eighty, some eighty five percent funded by oil. That's not the case anymore, folks. So uh, the rainy day is here. We do have to, we are funding a significant portion of the, of the state budget with earnings of the permanent fund. So shower was always like, look, let's, let's, let's have the policy discussion and let's vote on it. And let's, you know, everybody can be accountable to that. But instead every year they wrap themselves around the axle every single year yep. over how much the permanent fund is going to be. Yep. And, it you know, can, it so can, it, it, I welcome the discussion. I think a thousand is stealing the people's money. Yeah, no, I mean, it's still it basically this is the poster child for we know better than you how to spend your money. That's essentially what this boils down to. 
Uh, and yes, if you want to have the policy discussion, do so. But, uh, you know, a thousand dollars, the current, uh, the last statutory formula number I saw was over 4,200. If you'd done it by statute, this is just, I mean, this is just painful. Um, all right. Uh, number two, HB 185, also from Zach Fields. Oh, he loves going after that permanent fund. The permanent fund dividend tax. HB 185 establishes a permanent fund dividend income tax, basically by how much you make under the bill structure, individuals earning 75,000 or families earning 150,000 or more would pay annual income taxes equivalent to each year's PFD while lower earners and children would continue to receive their PFD. So essentially you pay it back. You get you get hit with it. Then you pay it back. Uh, your analysis. I got to respect Zach for having the gonads to, you know, even put that out, you know I mean? <laughs> but Again, it's like we're gonna we're gonna cap it and tax it, you know, and it's a means test, and you know it ignores the basic principle, uh, the Wally Hickel uh, doctrine of uh, you know the owner state, and you know, I mean, I got my political hat handed to me over coal bed methane because people don't own the subsurface estate in Alaska, so you buy your property, you don't get the mineral state unless you have pre-statehood. Uh, conveyed uh, property and I my Seldovia properties like that so but there are not many properties out there like that and the native corporations have the subsurface estate but everybody else it's commonly owned and that share of that oil wealth uh, is uh, it, you know your permanent fund dividend is, is is a dividend from your share of that commonly owned oil wealth so right and there's also the eco protection issues with with Zobel. Zobel was a little bit different. I mean, it was about how long you've lived here, but it was still an eco protection case. Right. It's, uh, again, uh, I think uh, kind of a dangerous road to tread. Let's move on to the final one, the number one uh, issue, SB61 from Bill Willikowski. Basically, it would eliminate the Electoral College for the presidential vote which I think has been, that's been the golden calf for many of these people for a long time. It is a very, very, very dangerous uh, idea uh, to try and eliminate basically the Electoral College. Your thoughts on this here as we wrap things up over the last two minutes. Well, the constitutional founders understood the dangers of, of uh, having uh, the population centers elect the president. And that's why they set up the electoral college so um, the smaller states, the rural states, and you know, little states like Alaska uh, have a voice in a presidential election. So this is uh, basically a capitulation to every blue uh, state. And, and I think I mentioned the things that the policy that the blue states and the Democratic National Party support, you know, with their open borders and our, the fentanyl deaths and the um, you know, uh, all, all, all the trappings that come with, uh, uh, you know, the, I, I think I talked about uh, the uh, felony uh, smash and run uh, shopping. You know, I mean, people just, these liberal states, I mean, look what goes on in California and Oregon and Washington and the big cities and stuff like that. And those, those are the people that will decide who the president of the United States is in perpetuity if, uh, if Alaska and other states join this. 
Yeah, no, then it becomes, again, it's mob rule at that point because the largest population centers would control basically everything in the country instead of having proportional representation, which people, they're, just, they're not teaching this anymore. People don't understand the reason behind the Electoral College. They think it's antiquated. They don't understand. Or they have a vested interest in seeing it go away because they want to see those major population centers uh, have control of the whole thing. Scott Ogan has been our guest, again, former legislator and recently retired as a senior policy advisor for State Senator Mike Schauer. Um, uh, Scott, thank you for coming on board. I'd love to do this again here sometime in the near future. Uh, have you back on. Hold the line for just a second. Um, okay. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking to you here in just a second. Folks, we're out of time. Tomorrow is Firearms Friday. Can't wait to talk about that. We will see you then. Enjoy yourself today. Be kind, love one another, live well. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Scott, we were up against the hard break there, but I want to give you final bite at the apple, final thoughts as people start watching what's happening with the legislative session. This go around, give me, uh, you know, you got a couple minutes here. You have the floor for final thoughts for today. Well, thanks. I want to put in a plug for Must Read. Uh, my friend uh, John Faulkner bought it, and uh, Suzanne Downing is still involved. Um, you know, she's uh, she's starting to fade out a little bit with uh, her the management role, and I think you're going to see some positive changes with Must Read. Uh, I know John wants to make it. Uh, there's already more uh, mainstream uh, 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 articles on there, and we John's a everything John touches turns to gold. <laughs> so uh, I think we're going to, I know he wants to build the, the, uh, the readership and um, make it a, a, a kind of a, a main source for people to, for their news and um, possibly, possibly even eclipse the Anchors Daily News, which uh, I used to sell the Anchors Daily News, a lot of papers. I'd be happy to extract a little revenge on that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, it's good to talk with you again. Uh, maybe we'll have a visit sometime during the session since you don't have to be down in Juneau. Maybe you can give us some analysis during the session of things you're seeing down there. Yeah, well, John and I are talking about where we go from here. This was kind of a trial month and see how it goes. And I think he's pretty happy. And uh, I enjoy doing it. And I have new respect for journalists. It's it's a tough thing, you know, because, you know, people are going to snipe at what you write. And it's it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to uh Try to do your best to get it right. And we we welcome comments. If, if I get something wrong, I'll own it. Um, but uh, it's it's an opportunity to uh, uh, make a difference. All right, Scott Ogan. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. It's good to talk with you. We will see you in the future. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, folks, we are out of time. We got to go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll see you tomorrow.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.